0: Hey folks welcome to another episode of the podcast uh, i'm in an interesting position at the moment because i'm starting to scale back my workload in the gym we are going traveling next year if you haven't heard about that yet i put up a little video on my social media and my youtube channel uh, just detailing the fact that my wife and i are traveling indefinitely next year and so It means that the business is going pretty much completely online except for in person seminars. So, with that said, I am opening up some more spots for online training progressively as I approach the exodus from Australia next year uh, in February. So, if that's something you're interested in, then check out my website. It's just at luketulloch.com. And I'll leave a link, uh, direct links to the coaching inquiry in the description of this podcast. If you're interested in that, check it out. And of course, the other thing you may want to check out is the Fitness Fundamentals membership site where I go in depth onto a bunch of different topics. This month, we're going with uh, a bit of a focus on glycine and collagen synthesis. I talk a bit more about some other topics too. This month, it's going to be based on Sleep and its effect on fat loss and athletic performance. Previously, I've spoken about things like oxidative stress and how to optimally learn, which is applicable to both physical skills as well as learning new information. And I have some guests on every month to talk about stuff that maybe I'm not so much of an expert in. So uh, for October, we have Jamie Smith of Melbourne Strength Culture, who is an extremely bright guy, someone I look up to a lot. And he is talking about how the shoulder works and how we can optimally train the shoulder which is going to be really interesting and obviously it's applicable to everyone from strength athletes to your average person to physique people. So with all that said if you want to check it out there is a 30-day trial you've got nothing to lose it's pretty cheap as well so check that out it's also on the website or you can go to luketalek.com membership. Okay so with the opening of coaching spots what I thought I might do is talk a little bit more about some training related stuff this week. And I'll touch a bit more on the basics of how muscle grows. Now, this can be quite a convoluted topic when you get down to the chemical signals. And I've done quite a lot of these type of lectures in my advanced physiology mentorship. But it takes a fair bit of background knowledge to really get the most out of that you need to know a reasonable amount of chemistry and biology before you get into the specific details of how all these signaling pathways work. But I thought I might just touch on some of the basics here, um, because it has some really practical relevance to how we go about programming for muscle growth. Um, And so hopefully, this will give you a little bit of insight into how I end up programming for my online clients and how you might be able to change some of your programming uh, yourself as well. So when we talk about muscle growth, what we're talking about is hypertrophy. Those are the same things. Hypertrophy just means to grow. Um, So just going through a bit more uh, terminology here. So we're on the same page. The opposite of this would be atrophy, where something shrinks. Uh, If I say something is anabolic, or I'm talking about anabolism, I'm talking about something growing and catabolic or catabolism is breaking down. Now, it's really important to know that most people think about us as either being in an anabolic or a catabolic state at any given time, but really anabolic and catabolic processes are constantly occurring at the same time. So muscle is actually made out of proteins. You can think of protein structures as uh, fairly ubiquitous in the body. They're all over the place and they fulfill a bunch of different roles. So it's kind of like you know amino acids make up proteins. And then proteins structures can be a bunch of different stuff. Um, you can kind of think of it like plastic. If you think about plastic and all of the various components and shapes and roles that it plays in our lives, from components to pretty much every electronics we use, um, packaging, containers, uh, you know, a whole bunch of uh, applications from industrial to domestic use. That's kind of like what proteins are. They fulfill a bunch of different roles depending on their shape and structure and size. Proteins are quite similar. Now, what can happen is that we need to scavenge and recover some of that protein material, some of the amino acids from some protein structures that might have been damaged or not useful at the moment so that we can build them into other protein structures. And that is the breakdown of protein structures or catabolism. So sometimes what will happen is stuff will get broken down so that we can use those materials, those amino acids or that plastic material to make it into something else. And so it's basically being recycled in the same way that we recycle plastic bottles into, say, Tupperware or something like that. So these anabolic and catabolic processes are constantly occurring at the same time. If you're breaking something down to build into something else, then of course you're being catabolic in breaking down one protein structure, but at the same time you're being anabolic to build up another protein structure. Generally speaking, when one of these broad processes exceeds the other, we say we're in either an anabolic or a catabolic state. Now with muscle protein synthesis specifically, we're talking about making new proteins in the muscle and that leads to overall muscle growth. Usually we just say protein synthesis, but it's important to note that muscle protein synthesis is actually separate to protein synthesis that might occur in other parts of the body. All of our organs and tissues and cells are synthesizing proteins. And so saying protein synthesis does not necessarily mean we're building muscle, but in this context, and usually when we say protein synthesis in an exercise physiology or training kind of context, we're talking about building new muscle. Now, uh, the skeletal muscle fibers, the actual muscle fibers that we want to grow is quite interesting. They're quite different to other cells. So a skeletal muscle is a collection of muscle cells or muscle fibers. If I say a muscle fiber or a muscle cell, it's actually the same thing. These muscle fibers compared to other cells are really, really big. Uh, Compared to other cells, they're massive. They're on a huge scale. It's like think about a typical bit of Tupperware and then think about a Tupperware that is the size of your house. It's massive compared to other cells. And this is quite interesting because every cell inside of it has a bunch of little organelles. So just like every person has a heart and lungs and liver and kidneys and all this different stuff to keep it running and and keep us alive, the cells each have their own little organs too. So they have ribosomes and mitochondria and endoplasmic reticulum and all this kind of stuff. And that helps the cell to continue running and stay alive. Now muscle cells are so huge that they actually can have multiple organelles unlike other cells. So if you think about the nucleus of a cell, that's where all of our genetic information is stored and that's like the command center of the cell. All of the recipes of how to build all of the proteins and run the cell are in that command center in the nucleus where all of our DNA is. And a muscle cell is so large that it can have multiple command centers. You can almost think of this like having multiple police stations or multiple hospitals in a city. So if you're a really small town, you're a tiny cell, you only need one nucleus or one hospital. But if you're a giant city like New York, you might need I don't know, a dozen hospitals. I'm not sure how many major hospitals there are in New York City, but there'd be a lot, right? And they each look after a different section of the city. And the same in a muscle fiber or a muscle cell, each nucleus looks after a certain section of that cell. And the more nuclei we have, the potential for growth gets larger because we can control and manage a larger area. So having these multiple nuclei is actually a really important part of muscle growth the more nuclei we can have in a muscle cell, potentially the larger the cell can get. So it's quite interesting, because a type of stem cell called satellite cells, which you might have heard of can sit just outside the muscle cells, and they can be activated to join that muscle fiber to enable repair. And it can donate its nucleus to the muscle cell. And that allows more nuclei in the muscle cell, allowing us to potentially grow larger. So this unique aspect of the size of the muscle cell actually is pretty interesting, I think, um, especially since it can have multiple nuclei, which most cells do not have. Now, the muscle fibers are recruited or switched on by the central nervous system, so your brain and spine. There are particular nerve cells called motor neurons that actually make the muscle contract. They send the signal to cause the muscle to contract. And motor neurons can be in charge of multiple fibers. So the motor neuron plus all of the fibers under its control is called a motor unit. So they form a unit together. And this is important because in some muscles, you have one motor neuron or one muscle muscle nerve cell controlling multiple fibers and in other muscles they control less fibers and it's it's got a specific function so let's take the legs for example in the lower body you tend to find that one nerve will control many more fibers than in the upper body and this means that simply switching on one nerve allows us to contract a lot of muscle tissue at once which is really helpful for producing force and coordinating the lower body However, it doesn't give very fine control over our movements compared to the upper body, let's say the hands, where we want very fine control of our movements so that we can produce small, very accurate, precise movements. And so the muscle fibers in our hands actually have or the motor nerves in our hands have fewer muscle fibers to control because it allows us to have more precise control over our movements but the the main point i want you to take away here is something called the motor unit because i'm going to be referring to this quite a lot when i say we're recruiting a lot of motor units all that means is that we are switching on lots of muscle fibers at once remember a motor unit is both the motor neuron or the nerve that contracts muscle fibers, and it's all of the fibers that it controls. So it might be one nerve cell and like 50 muscle fibers. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, a bit of background, how does hypertrophy or muscle growth actually occur? Essentially, what happens is we start by putting a stimulus on the muscle by lifting a load. And this means that the muscle fibers themselves experience tension when they experience this tension, they are mechanically deformed. So they're quite, they're physically squished and stretched and prodded, right? Now, what happens is the muscle fibers are able to sense this tension and convert it into a chemical signal inside the cell. So we have this mechanical signal of the muscle fibers being deformed, being turned into a chemical signal inside the muscle cell. And this signal will travel to this master growth regulating enzyme that's called mTOR you might have heard of me talk about mTOR before. So it's literally M-T-O-R. It stands for mammalian target of rapamycin or rapamycin. I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced. Uh, But essentially mTOR's job is to look at all of the signals coming in from various stimuli like your nutrition and your training and make a decision as to whether to turn on protein synthesis or not in the muscle. And we call this integration. So integrating signals is basically taking a look at all of the information coming in and then making a decision as to how to proceed. So this is really similar to what the brain does with all of the sensory signals that get sent to us from our various sensory cells. It's the same as when you get a bunch of information coming from your ocular cells or your eye cells and your hearing and your taste and your sense of temperature and pressure. And you your brain integrates all of that and gives us a general picture of what's going on. Now, the same thing happens in the muscle tissue. So mTOR looks at things like um, growth factors, what growth factors are available insulin and IGF one, part of the signals delivered by inflammation and oxidative stress caused by your training. mTOR looks at nutritional factors like how much energy we have available and how many amino acids there are to make the muscle proteins out of. And of course, the main one that we just discussed is how much tension there is on the muscles themselves. So, tension and stress on the muscle fibers is the main one. Growth factors like IGF 1, mechanogrowth factor, the inflammatory response, uh, so whether there are inflammatory signals present like myokines, cytokines, interleukin 6, TNF alpha, all of these various chemicals. Uh, the nutritional signals include things like how much energy is available via an enzyme called AMPK, and also how many amino acids are available. So to put it really, really simply, mTOR is basically there to decide whether we're going to go ahead with building new muscle tissue. The amino acid leucine is really important too. If we have enough leucine and we have enough energy, we can proceed and build our new proteins. And all of the other amino acids are the bricks and mortar, you need more than just money to build a house. And so having other amino acids present is really important too. And so this is where our basics of muscle building come. Do we have enough energy? Do we have enough protein? If we have that, we can probably go ahead and build some muscle. But we first need that signal of training to do so. So uh, the actual signals that come together to produce muscle growth, there are three main things that are thought to induce muscle growth. And this originally came out of a research paper that came out in 2010, which kind of revolutionized how we thought about training for muscle growth. This was organized originally by Brad Schoenfeld in this paper, and he proposed three main mechanisms of muscle growth. The first one is what we just spoke about, mechanical tension, the physical deforming of the muscle cells because they are contracting against load. The second one is metabolic stress, and the third one is muscle damage. Now, I'll talk a bit more about these all in detail coming up, but those are the three main things, mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and muscle damage. Now, it's important to note at this point that these are really difficult to study because most training protocols will have some influence from all three of those factors. It's really difficult to create some form of training that doesn't have at least all three of those factors uh, influencing muscle growth. And so isolating them and seeing which one is more important is quite a difficult task. It's really hard to isolate and study each individual contributor. But we'll start with mechanical tension. Again, the muscle fibers can detect how much force the muscle is under, The mechanical signal is turned into a chemical message to signal mTOR and this is now considered the primary driver of muscle growth if there's nothing else that we consider important for muscle growth mechanical tension is it quite simply a muscle fiber needs to be recruited or switched on by the nerves to experience tension Now, when I say mechanical tension, most people think about heavy loads when we're talking about mechanical tension, but that's not necessarily true, and I'll explain why. There's something called the size principle that we need to take into account. Now, it means that we've seen research showing that using 80% of your maximum to failure and using 30% of your maximum to failure seems to achieve the same amount of muscle growth, which seems a little bit counterintuitive. We previously thought that those heavier loads were much more important, and the very light loads didn't really produce much growth at all. But we can explain this with the size principle and the idea of mechanical tension. Okay, so here we go. The muscle fibers are switched on or recruited by nerves called motor neurons we already spoke about that and one motor neuron controls many fibers remember that too so when it fires it recruits all of the fibers that are under its control and the motor neuron plus all of the fibers it controls are called a motor unit when you move your brain is smart it recruits the smallest motor units first and it doesn't recruit every available fiber right so let's say you're picking up your toothbrush to brush your teeth. If you were to recruit all of your available motor units, you would throw your toothbrush through your face and it would not be very pretty. Your brain is smart. It only uses the amount of muscle that it needs to perform a movement smoothly and you know, uh, appropriately. Now, if more force is required, it will progressively recruit larger and larger motor units. So let's say you were looking at your toothbrush and you expected it to weigh a certain amount. You pick it up and you find it's actually quite heavy. Like, I don't know, it's a, it's a metal toothbrush or something. Your brain will recognize this and it will recruit more motor units to try and lift up and resist that weight and pick it up, right? So let's say we're in a situation where we're lifting weights and we're training in the gym you might do a very lightweight, let's say you pick 50% of your maximum, and you're going to do it and you, you know, your first probably five to 10 reps are going to feel really, really easy. So your brain is not going to recruit all of your available muscle tissue at this point. But as you keep lifting, some of those motor units, some of those muscle fibers are going to fatigue, and they can't keep contracting forever. So they fall out of recruitment and can no longer be used to help resist that weight. So the brain has to call on other motor units to keep during the job and keep contracting against that load. Eventually what happens is we get close to failure, the brain has recruited every available motor unit to keep lifting that weight. So this means that even with very light weights, if we get close to failure, then by definition, we have recruited every available muscle fiber to help us lift that weight. And that means that every muscle fiber has experienced mechanical tension And therefore has been trained and has seen the primary signal that causes muscle growth you do not have to lift very very heavy to experience maximum mechanical tension across a fiber you only need to get close to failure because at some point every fiber has to be called upon to do its job and contract against that load even if it is quite a light load now this is why we think mechanical tension is the primary driver of muscle growth because we have plenty of evidence showing that a wide range of reps works for muscle growth. And it only requires that we get close enough to failure to produce that muscle growth. And this alone can explain muscle hypertrophy, we don't actually need to even include the other factors of metabolic stress, or muscle damage to explain muscle growth. That doesn't mean that they don't contribute or that they might not be factors. But you don't actually have to have them to explain why muscle can grow, you can just use that model of mechanical tension. Okay, so let's discuss the second part, metabolic stress. This is basically when the change to the environment around and inside the muscle occurs, that comes with fatigue. So when we exercise, we get a buildup of what's called metabolites. And these are just chemical leftovers from all of the chemical reactions that occur that cause our muscle to contract. So we get a buildup of lactate or lactic acid, we get a buildup of hydrogen ions, we get a buildup of phosphate as well we get this situation where we have reduced blood flow, because while we're lifting weights, uh, the muscles actually compress our blood vessels. And while the muscles under tension, those blood vessels remain compressed. And that leads to more metabolite buildup, because the blood flow can't come through and wash it out. And we also get cell swelling. So this is where the muscle growth comes in from metabolic stress. Essentially, this increased lactate accumulation changes where water is held. We have water in different compartments in the body. So we have water inside the muscle cell, we have water outside the muscle cell in what's called the interstitial fluid. So that's just kind of between all of your different cells. And the increased lactate accumulation as we continue to lift changes where that water is held. Lactate actually causes water to be pushed from the outside of the muscle fiber to the inside of the fiber and what this does is it stretches the muscle fiber like a balloon, and this is perceived as a threat to the structural integrity of the cell, and the cell responds by synthesizing more proteins to try and reinforce the cell structure. So metabolic stress leads to an accumulation of lactate. That lactate causes more water to be pushed to the inside of the cell. The cell swells because it's hyperhydrated, and that results in more protein synthesis to try and reinforce the structure of the cell. So that's the pathway through which metabolic stress might contribute to muscle growth. Finally, we have muscle damage. When placed under tension, the muscle experiences micro trauma. So some of those protein structures in the in the muscle actually damaged or broken or ripped. And this generates an inflammatory response from the immune system just like any other injury so it's the same inflammatory response you get if you were to like scratch yourself on a bush or something like that it's the exact same response the the muscle damage caused by training is a wound it's the same as any other wound it activates white blood cells and inflammatory signaling molecules and those all rush to the area and that's uh, often why you might find that area could be a little bit hot or swollen for a couple of days after training because of this inflammatory response. Now muscle damage is generally associated with muscle soreness, but it's not a perfect proxy for muscle soreness. And it doesn't mean that more muscle soreness means more muscle damage in every case. And it certainly doesn't mean that muscle soreness is an indicator of growth. Uh, In fact, high amounts of muscle damage uh, are not necessarily ideal. Muscle damage usually results in greater protein synthesis, but it doesn't mean that the muscle is actually growing more, because it's a response to try and repair all the damage and get you back up to baseline again. So think of it this way, if you were to dig a hole, and you were to dig a very shallow hole, but then you were to synthesize a bunch more protein to get you out of that hole, um, you might end up standing on a little hill meaning that you've actually synthesized a bit more protein and grown that muscle. But if you were to dig a deeper hole, i.e. more muscle damage, and then you were to have the exact same amount of protein synthesis occurring, it might only get you back up to ground level again, meaning you've synthesized a ton more protein, but you haven't actually grown any extra muscle. So muscle damage can actually be uh, not very good for muscle growth, and we tend to find this in beginners. So people who are new to training tend to experience much more muscle damage than people who are advanced. We call this the repeated bout effect. As you become more advanced with your lifting, you experience much less muscle damage from a training stimulus. So the research has shown that people who are new to training actually don't, or usually don't, grow much muscle at all in the first month of training. And the reason why is possibly to do with the fact that they experience so much muscle damage that even though they are generating a huge amount of protein synthesis from their training, that protein synthesis is just doing enough to get them back up to baseline and they're not actually growing any new muscle tissue until they develop this repeated bout effect where they become resistant to muscle damage and they can finally synthesize protein to get them above their baseline level of muscle mass. Now, at this point, Uh, Based on the research, we don't know for sure if muscle damage is actually even involved in muscle growth. It seems pretty likely that it does play a role, but I don't think we should be training to purposely induce soreness or purposely induce muscle damage. It may even be counterproductive. But if you are training to try and achieve metabolic stress or mechanical tension, there will always be some muscle damage occurring anyway, because that's just the nature of it, we have to contract our muscles against load. And that is going to damage some of the proteins in the muscle, regardless of what we do. Um, And so if you're training conventionally, you're going to experience some muscle damage regardless, but I don't think chasing soreness or muscle damage is a really good way to go if you want to maximize muscle growth. Okay, so uh, hopefully that's had a little bit of insight for you as to the mechanisms of muscle growth. The takeaways from this are essentially this, that there are a variety of ways of programming to achieve the main things that we want to get out of our training to maximize muscle growth. Like I said before, a variety of rep ranges will work really well. The main thing we want to focus on is proximity to failure. So that means that some exercises that are maybe not so appropriate for really heavy loads, like let's say a pec fly, it's not something that I would do for like a set of six to eight. It's just a little too dangerous going out in that that wide arc with a shoulder. But if I did it for a set of say 12 to 15 or even 20, as long as I got close enough to failure, like within about say four or five reps, I could be pretty confident that I've recruited all of my muscle fibers and placed mechanical tension on them. Um, And then I should experience a similar amount of growth as if I did a heavy set of six to eight. Now, conversely, some exercises might not be very well suited to very high reps, something like a deadlift, for example, you might not really want to do much above eight or 10 reps of that. And similarly, as long as you're getting close enough or reasonably close to failure, you should experience enough mechanical tension on all of your fibers that you'll grow them. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go all the way to failure to induce maximal muscle growth, that's actually not true at all. But if you wanted to make sure that you were uh, progressing well over time, I would pay more attention to how close you do get to failure. I talk a little bit more about this uh in a podcast I did with Will Berkman. You can find it on this podcast and also on Will's podcast, Weekly Weights. It's the exact same recording. I just threw it up on my podcast so you can listen to it. It's one about training volume, and we actually talk about how to try and work out um, you know, how much training volume to do, how many sets and reps to do, and it has to do with uh, working out w- which sets are hard, and we define hard sets by proximity to failure, like I just talked about. Um, You know, so there's a bunch of practical applications to this that that come to light in terms of just trying to maximize mechanical tension. It also means that some programming phases or some exercises, I tend to try and chase metabolic stress a little bit more than mechanical tension. Um, And I still think that the the main goal of training should be to focus on uh, maximizing that mechanical tension for an adequate amount of volume to stimulate growth and recover from. But uh, occasionally, I do like to use those metabolic stress training sessions to firstly improve conditioning and work capacity. But secondly, just to maybe chase that slightly different pathway of muscle growth as well. Okay, uh, now, if you want to know a little bit more about how I actually program this into a training session, Uh, This is on the Fitness Fundamentals membership site. So if you do sign up to that, then you get along with that a programming course for free so it's called practical programming as long as you're a member of the fitness fundamentals website you'll have access to that again the first month of it is free and then it's only 14 dollars a month after that so uh you know it's a pretty decent investment if you want to learn a bit more how to actually put this into a program i go through all of the programming variables and how i actually build programs out So that might be a good investment if you're curious as to how to apply this information. And of course, like I mentioned before, keep an eye out for some of the coaching spots. I will be ramping up the clients that I take uh, between now and next year. So once again, if you'd like to have a look at that, check out the link in the description to this podcast or visit luketulloch.com and just have a look at the menu at the top for coaching inquiry. All right, thanks very much for listening. Hope you found this interesting and I'll catch you in the next one.